Good afternoon, Northwest. Welcome to another edition of Dr. Andy's Wellness Corner. I am Dr. Andy Marone. I am the clinic director at Redmond Ridge Nutrition and Chiropractic. This show is designed to allow, allow you and your family to live a longer, happier, healthier life. Why? So you can do more of what you love to do. Uh, just a quick announcement. I will be at Vitamin Life in Redmond this Saturday at noon doing some health and wellness workshops. Uh, we're in the Trader Joe's and QFC Shopping Center in downtown Redmond, just off of Redmond Way. So uh, check us out this Saturday at noon if you'd like to meet me in person. I'm here with my producer, Eric Ryder. Hey, Eric. Hey, good afternoon, Andy. You know, we uh, get into some juicy topics uh, <laughs> recently uh, on the show, and th- probably through the whole history of the show, you've been you know, yeah. talking about some pretty juicy, maybe slightly controversial things. I'm just wondering if we're going to open up a whole can of worms again today. You, you know me, yeah, pretty <laughs> much. <laughs> so what are we going to be talking about? Uh, so the multitude of reasons behind why it's so darn hard to eat healthy in this country. Yeah, that's a pretty huge can of worms. I mean, I, not that we should be <laughs> <laughs> talking about what cans of worms as far as eating healthy they, goes. They may I be guess, healthier. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> but what brings up uh, this discussion today? So sometime around the holidays, I was perusing Facebook, and I believe it or not, I don't get to do that often. Um, I'm very busy between my practice. I volunteer at a local elementary school. I teach both life protection arts and fitness. And of course, I've got a family and this radio show. So other than posting health tips and articles on Facebook, I really don't get to use that and other social medias that often. And while many people may consider that a good thing overall, I do have some really good friends on the East Coast where I grew up. And honestly, Facebook is one of the easiest ways for me to be able to to stay in touch with him. So anyway, I was catching up over the holidays, and a very good friend of mine uh, posted a complaint stating how difficult it was to eat healthy in this country. Hmm. Why were they surprised about that? Uh, you have to understand, this person was in, been in the military and has been overseas for many, many years. And, well, overseas, they kind of became a bit of a fitness nut and started exercising. Exercising turned into more and more intense workouts. And of course, once you start exercising and getting shape, you automatically start to wonder what else you should be doing to live a healthier life. Um, of course, one of the most obvious things that comes to mind is eating right. So my friend started working on her diet. And keep in mind, she was stationed in Asia where there are a lot more fresh fruits and vegetables and, of course, uh, fresh meats aplenty. And GMOs, quite frankly, have not taken over over there. <laughs> so I take it she's back in the States now. Yeah, she's yeah. back at the ho- States and, and working very hard to try and maintain the same health that she had overseas. And obviously out of frustration, she posted on Facebook, quote unquote, why is it so dang hard to eat healthy in this country with ex- replacing the dang with some maybe a slight or right, right. harsher <laughs> word, of course. So. <laughs> So I assume you're going to get into that then. You got it, yeah. Um, A bunch of her friends responded with some pretty obvious answers, and then I chimed in really that it was a lot more complicated than that. And that's what started the gears turning. I I really didn't have time to write a dissertation on it right then and there, but again, the gears started turning, and I thought it would be a really good topic for this program. And so 
Um, here we go, but I should warn you once again, I will probably be stepping up on my soapbox. <laughs> well, that's what the show's for, so yeah, ahead. Yeah, it is. Uh, but <laughs> stop me if I get too deep, right? I mean, uh, right. so let's start off talking about sugar. Um, according to the American Journal of Public Health 2014, Americans are eating 30% more sugar in 2010 than in 1980. That's 30% increase in 30 years. That's 10% per decade for those of you who like math. That seems a little bit surprising to me, only because as Americans, we do seem to be getting more and more health conscious each year. I hear about, uh, you know, how people are cutting down on sugar all the time. Uh, But why in the world would we be eating more sugar, especially since many of us now understand that that's not a good thing for our health? Yeah, no, we're definitely more conscious about it. So it's really a lot of it really isn't our fault. Food Food manufacturers have been gradually increasing the amount of sugar in our foods as as time goes by. Sometimes they're even hiding it under a different name. But before I get into that, let me share a personal story with our listeners. This is not research. This is just something that happened to me that kind of sent a powerful message to me. So maybe it can, uh, our listeners would benefit from it. Er, Early in 2016, I was cooking some grass-fed beef burgers. My wife had to run to the store to get some fresh vegetables for a nice, wonderful salad. And while walking down one of the aisles, she saw or a bottle of organic ke- ketchup and decided to, to buy it, of course. Um, we finished making dinner, and we sat down to eat it. And without looking at the bottle, I put the ketchup on my burger, and I started to eat it. And it's, it's amazing because as I started to smell and taste the ketchup, um, many images of my childhood, uh, really wonderful memories, start, started flooding into my head. Now, before I continue with the story... Let me remind you that um, smell is one of the closest ties to not only our emotions but our memory center than any other scent. This is why uh, uh, perfume companies and cologne companies uh, is, a, is a multi, probably multi-trillion dollar business worldwide. The other thing to remember is most of what you think you taste, you actually smell. If, I don't know if you were ever a kid and remember that science experiment where they plugged your nose and had you eat different foods and you had no idea what you were eating because you couldn't smell it as well as taste it. Now, why would the flavor and smell of a ketchup take me back to my childhood? Well, because that's what ketchup smelled and tasted like when I was a child. So I looked at the bottle and I decided on a whim to compare it to a brand name uh, bottle that was in in the pantry. And for the brand name, sugar was the first ingredient on the list. Uh, But for the organic um, ketchup, it was fourth or fifth. Now, back when I was a kid, we didn't didn't use organic ketchup because there was no need for it because there were no GMOs back then. So technically all ketchup was probably quote-unquote organic. And a quick quick aside for our listeners out there, do you know what our grandparents and great-grandparents called organic food? They called it food. Now we have to have a name, a special name for real food. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I bet in that name brand ketchup, it, there was probably corn syrup listed. It, yeah, it was corn there. syrup, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of food manufacturers are hiding sugar or sugar-like <laughs> substances and calling it something else. You, you talked about that. Uh, on one of the shows before the holidays. Right, yeah. Um, And here's actually, while doing my research for this show, um, I actually found some other manufacturers, other names that manufacturers use to disguise sugar. 
Even more? More, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unfortunately, I feel like a, a really bad uh, infomercial. But wait, there's more, <laughs> you know? There's uh, got to be a better way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Um, so uh, I guess I'll let, you, <laughs> I, I'll let you in on the big secret. So we've already t- discussed fructose and fructose syrup. And for those of you who missed that airing, um, you can subscribe to replays. Uh, they're available on a podcast, uh, Dr. Andy's Wellness Corner, either on iTunes or Google Play. Um, I also posted this information on the Facebook page, Dr. Andy's Wellness Corner, so tune into that. I post articles onto that almost daily um, that you can use to make yourself uh, and your family much more healthy. But here's some others. Barley malt, corn sweetener. Here's a fra- favorite of mine, crystalline fructose. Dextrin, malt powder. Ethyl maltol, fruit juice concentrate, because they basically concentrated out the sugar, maltodextrin, maltose, which is a sugar, by the way, molasses, muscovado, panela, palm extract, here's another favorite of mine, evaporated cane juice, confectioner's powder, and my personal favorite, cane juice crystals. Now, they also are uh, disguising syrups. Agave nectar, of course, uh, carob syrup, golden syrup, honey malt syrup, oat syrup, rice bran syrup, and rice syrup, just to uh, name a few. And again, I put the list up on uh, the Dr. Andy's Wellness Corner Facebook page and at my blog at RedmondRidgeNutrition.com. So if you were driving and didn't get to write all that down, um, go ahead and, and look it up. You know, I see a lot of those uh, on labels for what is in the health food section. So mm-hmm. are you saying that those aren't better for us than the regular sugar? You know, high fructose corn syrup is no sugar, no simple carb, no simple sugar is good for you. Mm. But we can rank them in order of how bad they are. Right. And how uh, high fructose corn syrup is the worst. Research after research after research shows that it will lead to heart disease, cardiovascular disease, obesity, type 2 diabetes, and a whole host of other diseases faster than other forms of sugar. So it sounds like we should probably be sticking to fruits, vegetables, and meat, right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, uh, you have to be careful there too, though. Well, they can't add <laughs> sugar to fresh fruits, can they? <laughs> Actually, <laughs> yeah. Oh. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> um, so they're not exactly adding it. They're actually genetically altering fruits and vegetables and growing them so they contain more sugar. Ah, well, you know, that's why I eat organic. <laughs> yeah, well, so study, yeah, study, after show, study after study shows that modern cultivated fruit is lower in fiber and higher in sugar than natural f- wild fruit, which is why, yes, organic would be closer to the wild-grown fruit. What about meat, though? Did, did that change over the years? Are they putting sugar in the, my meat? <laughs> no, they're not putting sugar in your <laughs> okay. meat, but the meat you're eating today is not as healthy as the meat that we ate in the 70s and even the 80s. Um, and that's the way it's changed, is simply by how farmers raise the livestock. It's completely different from the way it was raised when I was a child. But, you know, that's mostly just for the fast food industry, right? Well, it is. But here's what you have to remember. The largest purchaser of meats in the world, most people think it's the grocery stores, but it's not. It's the fast food industry. So if you raise livestock of any kind, you have to follow their rules. 
And yes, if you don't follow the rules, they actually won't buy from you. Now, you have to remember that you're going to sell your meat to the fast food industry, but you're also going to sell your meat to the grocery stores. You're not going to separate out the cattle that you, you raise for the fast food restaurants from the cattle that you sell to the grocery stores. It's going to be the same cattle. So pretty much your livestock, the, the meat that you buy in the grocery stores now is raised the same exact way. It's the mm-hmm. same quality of meat than what you would get in your fast food restaurant. Yeah, which means... That's right. <laughs> the meat, <laughs> yeah, it's the same. Same thing. So, um, and these rules include what environment to raise the livestock in, the size of their living quarters, population per square foot, what to feed them, how to feed them, when to feed them. And guess what? None of it's healthy. If you haven't seen the movie Food, Inc., watch it. I will admit it's a difficult, difficult difficult movie to watch but I do highly recommend it. Mm. Can you uh, give us some ex- examples from the movie? Sure, yes, absolutely. Cattle are raised in a pent-up barn and uh, fed corn instead of grass. You have to remember that cows are genetically designed to eat grass, not corn. They also don't get to move at all because they're uh, penned up in these tight pens. And since their digestive tract is not designed to process corn, they have a huge plastic funnel sticking out of the sides of them that goes right to their stomachs. And from time to time, a worker has to go by and clean out the undigested garbage from the cattle's digestive tract. Uh, Now, if it doesn't eat well, move well, or think well, I mean, you can't tell me that this cattle is happy, right? My question is, how healthy is this animal? And if the animal's unhealthy, how healthy is its meat? And if its meat is unhealthy, how unhealthy will you be when you eat it? Let's talk about chicken for a second. They're pent up in cages as well, and those cages are stacked in barns with no sunlight. They are not allowed by regulation to be exposed to light. They can't move, they can't seed, and they're force-fed. So again, how healthy are they? And how healthy will you be if you eat them? On the pig pork side, you have to remember that pigs cannot sweat. They use mud to cool off. But they're also pent up in crowded cells with lights beating down on them. They're literally rubbing body to body. Now, they have no way to dissipate their heat. Now, all of the toxins can't escape, again, because... What a pig would do to cool off and prevent those toxins from building up is rolling around in the mud. They don't have mud to roll around in, and if if they do, it's too hot. So all those muscles, all those toxins seep deeper and deeper into the muscle. Now you buy it and eat it. Again, how healthy is the pig, and how healthy will you be if you eat it? Yeah, well, there's got to be an alternative to this. Stuff, <laughs> there, right? there is, yes. Eat range-free uh, grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, and free-range organic pork. Um, you know, it's in such demand these days that even conventional grocery stores are starting to carry these products. Um, you know, avoid fast food like the plague, and if you have to eat fast food, you know, go for a salad and water. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm guessing the portions uh, probably play into this as well. That, that's another great point. <laughs> you know, um, not only are we eating food that's less healthy, we're eating it in larger portions. In the 1960s, the size of a dinner plate was about eight and a half to somewhere around nine inches. In the 1980s, 
it increased to 10 inches, and in the 2000s, it increased to 11 inches. In 2009, it increased to 12 inches. Now, remember, that's diameter, so the area is increasing exponentially. Let's look at it from a standpoint of calories, because that's really what's important here. In 1960s, the 8 to 9 inch dinner plate held about 800 calories. The 10 inch dinner plate in the 1980s held about 1,000 calories. But get this, the 11 inch dinner plate from the millennium held about 1,600 calories, while the 12 inch plate of today holds about 1,900 calories. Now let's add to that that the food we eat is higher in calories and lower in nutrients. We're creating a recipe for uh, disaster. Hmm. Is this why um, we have food cravings then? Oh, you bet. Yes. So if you're eating and eating and eating and you're not getting nutrients from that food, your body responds. And it responds by saying, I haven't been nourished. I'm still hungry. And if you keep eating um, empty calories or unhealthy food, you're going to keep taking in more calories but you're still not giving your body the nutrients that it needs. And so it creates a vicious cycle. What other things create uh, these cravings that a lot of people feel for you know, sugar and sweets and <laughs> yeah, all this yeah. stuff that probably isn't that great for us? So, believe it or not, diet soda. Diet soda, but... How? <laughs> it doesn't yeah. have sugar in it, right? I, I, well, no, but I, I told you I was going to open up cans of worms today. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So diet soda, you have to remember, still tastes sweet. Now, some depending on what they put in it, there may be some aftertaste and stuff. But overall, it's still sweet. But yet it doesn't contain any sugar. So what you've done, essentially, is you've told your brain that it's getting sugar. But your body didn't get any. Um, I always think, you know... Um, uh, if you, if you, and for those of you who have children, you know, young children, you tell your child that, uh, you know, you're going to go to, uh, you know, a, a, a birthday party or a gym, for a gymnastics place and they're all excited and all of a sudden it snows and they can't go, you know, kids are awfully disappointed, right? Right. Well, your brain works the same way. It's like, wait a minute, you promised me sugar. <laughs> you tricked me. So this situation obviously confuses your brain. So guess what? It starts to crave sugar, and like that kid that can't go to the gymnastics party, it starts to crave it even more, making you hungry, so you eat more food. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, your body's expecting sugar, and it didn't get any. And it, it makes the craving worse. But what's more important, especially in America, is some of the cultural changes that we've gone through. What do you mean by cultural changes? Well, you know, children... As children are raised today, it's kind of seen as okay if they don't want to eat something. Now, I'm not saying we should force feed our kids or say, you you have to eat this or eat it, you know, and, and be super forceful about it. But our children are basically selecting what they want to eat and what they don't eat. And since they're really not old enough to understand the importance of nutrition, they're really selecting what they want to eat, which is what tastes good. Unfortunately, many times those things end up being very unhealthy selections. You know, when I was younger, I had to eat what was put in front of me. And if I didn't, I either went hungry or I had to sit at the dinner table until I did. I had to eat my peas. I had to eat my broccoli, even if I didn't want to. Now, I'm not saying we force feeds our kids in a negative way, because sometimes I was kind of, it was kind of negative, um, you know, but 
But children growing up today do need to understand the importance of proper nutrition, and this starts at home. And yes, a little tough luck can go a long way. Just don't go overboard with it so your child doesn't avoid those things when they get older and more dependent because now they have the freedom and they can. You know, my wife is Japanese, and in Japan, kids still eat what's put in front of them. Adults do too, as a matter of fact. Uh, When I go to Japan, I always stand out, not just because I'm tall and I'm American, but... (laughs) You're a big white guy. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. pretty much anywhere. Yeah, a a side note on that. Especially um, Japan. Yeah, when I go to Japan and I walk through the grocery stores, the... The, the signs, the sale signs in the aisles, they actually bump me in the forehead. <laughs> <Ouch>. <laughs> they're, they're cardboard, but it's just kind of comical. You uh-huh. know? <laughs> but anyway, I've got some food allergies. So a lot of times we go to an, a restaurant and I'm asking things to be made a special way to make sure I don't, they don't contain any allergens. And they always look at me weird, like he's asking me to make this. Well, I'm, I've never, ha- nobody's ever asked me that before, you know, um, even our sweets are sweeter. Uh, my in-laws come, came to visit us from the for the first time from Japan in the early 1990s. Um, I don't know why. After dinner one night, they decided they wanted to go out for a milkshake, and um, so we went to the local uh, ice cream parlor, and uh, we all got small milkshakes. And uh, first of all, the small milkshake was probably twice the size of a large milkshake in Japan. And as soon as they tasted it, they almost looked like they were going to be sick to their stomach. Um, And it wasn't until I traveled to Japan and tried a milkshake there that I realized that the milkshakes here have probably at least four to five times the amount of sugar. And sweets in general, by the way, have tons more sugar here than they do in in Japan. I don't know how it is in other countries, but at least, um, you know, uh, um, that... There's one comparison for you. Well, that and, was probably 10% octopus. In yeah. That, uh, <laughs> milkshake, anyway. No, no, I doubt that, although they do eat octopus. But, right. uh, you know, and I've actually gotten used to Japanese tr- treats now, and I even feel the same way. And I'm a recovering carboholic. So, um, in fact, I, I don't think most Americans truly deep down inside, they truly, they don't believe that how they eat affects their health. I mean, you hear people say, oh, I shouldn't eat this, but listen to the lack of conviction in their voice. I don't honestly think they, they believe it. And, and, and media contributes to that. Just, just look at soda. When soda first came out in America, it was really considered a dessert or, or a treat. You, you took your child to the soda shop, and, and it was kind of a treat. Um, now many Americans see nothing wrong with drinking the super high sugary drink with every meal. It has virtually replaced water as the major beverage in the U.S. It is high in calories, completely void of nutrition, and it is, just speaking of high fructose corn syrup, it's loaded with the most unhealthy type of sugar imaginable. Not that cane sugar is that great for you. It tastes better, though. (laughs) (laughs) It does. Uh, Another major change is, believe it or not, refrigeration. Refrigeration, but... We, you know, we need that. <laughs> How can refrigeration be a problem? Yeah, you know, refrigeration is a tool, and like any tool, it can be properly used or misused. And when I say refrigeration, I really mean freezing. If you go back just a couple of generations, there was no refrigeration. This means that you went to the store for everything, and I mean just about everything. And everything that you bought had to be fresh. There was no way to really preserve it. The meat was prepared that day. The fruits and vegetables came fresh off the farm that day. You went to the grocery store every day instead of weekly. As a matter of fact, my mother-in-law still does that in Japan. 
because you had to buy fresh and had no way to keep or preserve it other than jerky, pickling, jarring, and jamming or jellying, um, and, and, or curing in some way, shape, or form. I think their refrigerators are a lot smaller than ours over there, too. They are, yeah. We're going to get yeah. into that in a second, actually, yeah. But So I get it. So if you're getting fresher food, what's so bad about freezing something? Uh, freezing it. Well, free, you know, it's, again, everything in moderation. Freezing food not only destroys the enzymes in the food, but it can actually degrade much of the nutrition that's in the food as well. Now, I get it. We do need to store some f- food long term, uh, either for emergencies, for convenience, or something goes on sale. I, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a bargain. I get it. But that should be the exception, not the rule. Uh, cooking can do that too, by the way. And I understand the importance of cooking food to destroy harmful organisms in the food, but only cook it as, as much so you can preserve as much of the nutrition and enzymes as possible. Of course, if that food was previously frozen, forget about it and, and go for it. Cook it all you want. Um, again, my Japanese in-laws go to the supermarket every day. My mother-in-law plans out all three meals the next day, the night before, and in the morning she goes to the markets to buy everything fresh. And in fact, you know, in Japan they use a refrigerator-freezer combination. Uh, The freezer in Japan is on the bottom, by the way, and um, the freezer portion is somewhere between half and a third the size of the old refrigerators that had the freezer on top in America. And again, they do have some frozen foods, but very little, and you know, again, this is one of the major reasons that I do enzyme nutrition. All right. So what should we be buying fresh? I Don't the supermarkets in our country freeze the food too? What's the point of buying it the same day if the grocery store already froze it for us? <laughs> and that's a great point. Um, let's take a really quick break, and we'll come back with the answer of that question. You are listening to Dr. Andy's Wellness Corner on KKNW AM 1150. At Redmond Ridge Nutrition and Chiropractic, Dr. Marone will take the time to sit down with you and listen to you about your health concerns and how they affect your life and the lives of your loved ones. My condition was so bad, it would keep me at home for days. I couldn't go dancing. I couldn't even go on vacation. I had lots of tests at many hospitals. I was given all kinds of names to my problem, but no solutions. I sat down with Dr. Andy, and he really took the time to talk with me about my issues. He outlined the enzyme nutrition process, including all costs involved. I was skeptical at first, but after another weekend stuck at home, I decided to give it a try. Since then, I have been able to dance and go on vacation with no problems. All my friends say I look younger and have more energy. I even lost weight. Dr. Andy and Enzyme Nutrition helped me restore my health so I could get back to what I love to do. If you've been from doctor to doctor with no answers to your suffering or are sick and tired of being processed through the healthcare system like an object on a conveyor belt, give Redmond Ridge Nutrition and Chiropractic a call and set up a consultation. You'll receive individualized care in a caring environment. You can reach us at 425-868-0120. 
That's 425-868-0120. Or check out the website, RedmondRidgeNutrition.com. That's RedmondRidgeNutrition.com. Alternative Talk 1150. It's good for what ails you. This statement has not been evaluated by the FDA. Welcome back to Dr. Andy's Wellness Corner. Uh, this, many of the statements I've said have not been evaluated by the <laughs> FDA as well. Uh, just a reminder, you can call into us, 425-373-5527. That number again is 425-373-5527. If you'd prefer to talk to me at the office, the office phone number is 425-868-0120. That's 425-868-0120. You can always visit us on the web at redmondridgenutrition.com. And you can also email me personally at Dr. Andy, that's D-R-A-N-D-Y, at RedmondRidgeChiropractic.com. Questions, feedback, things you'd like me to discuss on the show, anything. Um, so we left you with a little uh, cliffhanger here. Eric, would you uh, repeat that question for me? Well, we were talking about the importance of buying fresh food, but we know a lot of the supermarkets actually freeze their food at some point. So if they've already froze it, what difference does it make if we freeze it or refreeze it? You know, Right. Yeah, this is a really good point. So there are actually fresh-only markets out there. Um, you can also use farmers markets and co-ops. You know, worst-case scenario, get to know the manager of a produce and meat department of your local grocery store. I mean, buy, get them a Christmas gift or something, you know? When you go in each time, find out what's actually fresh. Um, some grocery stores even have fresh markers on their sign um, to put out when something just came in. Also, look for locally grown. If it came from Florida to all the way to Washington, chances are it's not fresh, you know? <laughs> um, you know, again, getting to know the manager of your produce and meat departments can really be key. Um, get them a small Christmas gift. Uh, I, I know um, it's... It's getting harder to find out. They're getting harder and harder to find, but even try to find a local butcher, you know. Um, Now, there is something to be um, careful of at these stores. What's that? (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) Repackaging. (laughs) Okay. Why is repackaging a problem? Okay. So supermarkets can repackage meat or produce the very next day and call it fresh. So you have to ask several key questions. Was this repackaged, and if so, when? Was it previously frozen? Where did it come from? When did it arrive in your store? And when did you originally package it? If they don't know, ask them who does. If no one's willing to get you, give you answers, don't shop there. Or write a letter to the store manager. I, I wouldn't go any further up the food chain, because uh, ultimately the store is probably a corporate chain, and corporate could honestly probably care less as long as they're being legal. And unfortunately, they probably are. Um, It's the law that really needs to change. All right. We've been talking a lot about meats, uh, fruits, and vegetables, uh, but... Well, that's because that's all you need to be eating. (laughs) (laughs) What about the other food groups, though? Uh, (laughs) There are none, or should I say there shouldn't be any. Um, Remember, the food groups come from a government organization And they are a political organization, which means they can't afford to offend anybody. So we have more food groups than we need. Okay. Well, you've talked about breads and cereals not being a a great thing and being a a former carboholic, I think. Yeah, recovering carboholic. Yeah, yeah. 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 (laughs) But uh, what about dairy? 
What about it? I, well, I love cheese personally, but <laughs> isn't dairy a, a good choice with all the calcium and vitamin D, etc.? The, the calcium in milk is useless. Um, let me back up, of course, a little, and, and I'll explain. Um, find a single mammal on the planet, aside from humans, that regularly drinks the milk of another mammal, and not one that we feed milk to ourselves, okay? In the wild, okay, you might find it during periods of starvation or food shortage, but on a regular basis. Also find me a mammal besides humans, and again, our pets that we feed it to, um, that drinks milk beyond childhood. Again, the exception being times of food shortage or uh, the fact that we humans give it to, to them. Now, raw milk may not be the worst thing for you, but it's still not ideal. Well, what's the difference with raw milk? Again, re- uh, regular pasteurized raw milk is not, and there's a really, really, really important difference there. Um, but first, do you know what industry the pasteurization process was actually designed for? Well, probably milk, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> Dairy industry. Right. And most people think that because that's what we see in today's world. But that's actually not correct. We have to go back in history. France's biggest export to early America was wine. Unfortunately, due to imperfections in the bottling process, the wine would often get uh, spoiled or contaminated by bacteria uh, by the time that uh, it... Um, by the time that it hit the uh, hit America, so couldn't they just FedEx it? <laughs> no, they can't. Yeah, they couldn't just Fed- FedEx it. Um, so what happened was Louis Pasteur, who was a French scientist, um, you know, um, he experimented on heating the wine. He knew if he heated it too much, it would evaporate the alcohol and ruin the flavor of the wine. So he played around with heating the wine at uh, various temperatures. Um, He was trying to find a temperature that would kill the bacteria but not ruin the wine. Mm. He discovered it, and that's why it's called pasteurization to this day. It was not applied to the dairy industry until 1939. You have to remember that refrigerators were not commonplace until after World War II. So milk had the same problem. So it was pasteurized so it could stay drinkable without refrigeration. But as long as milk is constantly refrigerated, it does not need to be pasteurized. Hmm. Well, does pa- what does pasteurization do to milk that would make it a, a bad thing to do? It. I mean, several things. The most important of which is milk, pasteurization milks, makes milk acidic. This acidifies your body pH, and it can and an acidic body pH can uh, increase your risk of a host of uh, health problems, including cancer. I haven't heard that before. Um, but, you know, that's probably balanced out by the calcium and vitamin D. It's clearly on the label. I mean, Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. Uh, but we'll talk about that in a second. Leafy greens like spinach and kale have way more calcium than milk does. So does seaweed. As for vitamin D, olive oil, or simple sunlight, although that's tough if you live in the Northwest. Um, I should say raw olive oil, too, Um the way, uh, by the way, raw olive oil is a healthy source of omega sixes. Most of the omega six we eat in this country we get our we get from unhealthy sources like fried food. But isn't advertising amazing? Simple marketing has convinced this country that milk is the best source of calcium and vitamin D. 
That's because milk does the body good, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's their slogan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so vegetables and meat, including seafood, uh, is what we should be sticking with. But the grocery store is just 90% junk, I guess? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, go down the aisles. I mean, what do you find? Junk food, frozen food, processed food. Shop the outer ring of the grocery store, but even then you have to be, avoid the uh, dairy and bakery sections. Um Let's take a few minutes and, and look at some key words that you'll find in the ingredients list on the packaging of foods in the aisles of grocery stores, and those words are enriched or fortified. So basically, food companies can enrich foods by adding nutrients to replace vitamins or minerals that have been lost during the manufacturing process. For example, refining wheat to make white flour removes many B-complex vitamins and iron that are contained in the part of the grain that's actually removed. Flour becomes enriched, so those nutrients are added back in before it's packaged. That means they added vitamins, right? Yes. Uh-huh. And So when something's enriched, it means that the refining process or the manufacturing process, if you will, caused the removal of valuable nutrients from the food. The food company, by law, has to put them back in. And, but what they put in is usually artificial, and what was lost is usually natural. Now, when they add the vitamins or nutrients back into a food um, that were never there to begin with, they call it fortified. So basically, fortified foods also have extra nutrients added by food manufacturer, but they're not necessarily meant to replace nutrients that were lost during processing. Um, an example of useful and appropriate fortification is iodized salt. In fact, um, I believe that was the first fortified product on the shelf in grocery stores. Don't quote me on that, though. Um, a bad example is cereal. Cereal is basically junk food with vitamins and minerals put in uh, during the manufacturing process. Now, it's also important to note that while um, nutrients are either added or added back, the enzymes are, are not. They were removed during the manufacturing process, but not added back in, which is one of the major reasons that I do enzyme nutrition. Iodized salt pretty much eradicated the problem of having a goiter, uh, which is an enlarged thyroid in the early 1900s. So there's a good example of fortification. Or All right. Well, what about nuts and whole grains? I mean, we hear all the time that they're healthy and I see a lot on TV about nuts and health harm. Yeah, so first of all... Um, heart health. Heart health, yeah, you got <laughs> it, yeah. So first of all, um, the way peanuts are stored causes a fungus to grow on them. The fungus is called aflatoxin. And a tiny piece of trivia for you, a very important piece of trivia for you, aflatoxin is what researchers use to cause cancer in laboratory animals. So, do you want to eat it? <laughs> mm, probably not. <laughs> yeah. What about other nuts or legumes? Yeah. Other nuts and legumes, for that matter, are fine if you soak or ferment them first. Um, nuts contain bactericides and enzyme inhibitors. So, they will kill the healthy bacteria floral in your gut and uh, prevent enzymes from doing their job. But soaking the nuts overnight will eliminate that problem. Hmm. Okay. So, what about fiber? I mean, we seem to need need fiber. And yeah. That's what everyone seems to say yeah. is a good thing for us, is it, our it, digestive system. Isn't the American media wonderful? Um, it's not so much the fiber 
uh, as, as much of where they're telling you to get it. Uh, common wi- wisdom, which is wrong, by the way, touts whole grains as the ultimate source of fiber. Uh, but you can get plenty of fiber from fresh fruits and vegetables. Yeah, as long as they're not <laughs> overloaded <laughs> right, with the sugar. Yeah, as long as we get the right fruits and vegetables, <laughs> right? right? Um, exactly. Whole grains have the same problem as nuts. They contain enzyme inhibitors and chemicals which will harm your natural probiotics. That's why people have to supplement with probiotics. If, if you get rid of the whole grains, you won't have that problem. But what's worse is they make the environment in your gut unhealthy. Well, how does that happen? So your gut is lined with cells, and and these cells have hair-like endings called cilia. And these hair-like strands serve several purposes. First, they act as a gateway. They control what is allowed to enter the body from the digestive tract and what is allowed to leave. They also provide surface area and a healthy environment for the probiotic flora that live in your gut. Whole grains cause these hair-like strands to lay flat. These hair-like strands then basically overlay on top of one another instead of sticking straight out. And so instead of a a, a spiked hairdo, (laughs) you know, it's laying flat. Think of it that way. Um, So not only does this reduce or eliminate the environment your probiotics need to survive, but now the gateway is completely open. So just about any substance can enter the body from the gut, and just about anything can leave the body through the gut. This condition is known as leaky gut. Let's go back in history. Humans did not start eating whole grains until farming replaced hunting and gathering. Now, fermented grains are not the worst thing in the world because fermenting, again, will destroy their, their harmful, um, harmful properties. Hmm. So are you talking about the paleo diet? Um, to some degree, but to some degree not. Um, I have actually studied the paleo diet in depth and actually even taught the paleo diet at several major universities. But here's what I discovered, and it really comes to as no surprise. What people really need to do is learn how to eat to their own genetic strengths. Let me say that again. You need to learn how to eat to your own genetic strengths. Now, how do you do that? <laughs> this is a several-step process. And honestly, when a patient comes into my office for enzyme testing, this is the dietary process I work them through. The only difference is I start them on a diet that is specific to their test results. Um, anyway, uh, find a no grains, no simple carbs, clean diet. Uh, you know, just make sure it's a reputable, good diet. You don't have to buy it. I'm sure you'll find something online. Stay on for um, stay on it for at least 90 days. And again, disclaimer: work towards that diet gradually first. Don't go to it cold turkey. You'll shock your system. You'll create cravings. And uh, at the least, and at the most, you'll be doomed to failure. So work towards that diet, and once you're completely on it, stay on it for 90 days. This is for several reasons. First, it will cleanse the system. Second, it will get your system used to that diet, allowing your body to adapt to it. That is, change from adaptive physiology, which is where we were living with an unhealthy diet, to homeostasis, or chemical balance. Then, one food at a time, after 90 days, you can add foods that you miss back into your diet. I would still stay away from simple carbs and whole grains, though, unless you soak them. If you're going to add back grains, ferment them or soak them first. But again, one food at a time, give it three days. If there are no ill effects, then that food is okay. If there are ill effects, you can't eat that food. 
Well, what kind of ill effects are we talking about? Yeah, it could could be anything. You know, it, it maybe um, maybe on the cleansing diet, your asthma cleared up. On day ninety one, I'm making all this up for the sake of our show, but you t- tried white rice, and on day ninety two, your asthma came back. Um, it could be you know you gained un- unnatural weight gain, bloating, digestive problems, skin rashes, chronic pain, headaches, low energy. Certain types of arthritis outbreaks or even mood changes, you name it. So now you see why nutrition is so, so, so important. Poor nutrition and miseducation about what is nutritious is responsible for many, many, many health problems. I told you I was getting on my soapbox. And the reason I do do it this way is ultimately there is no one diet for everyone. We're all different. And yes, we have the same genes but we all have a different expression of those genes. This is one of the reasons I stopped promoting only the paleo diet. Although it's the, the, in its strictest form, because there are variations, it is a good general diet. But again, it's not for everyone. All right. Well, uh, shall we shift topics a little bit? We, get, we got an email uh, from Jack in Woodenville who wants to ask you about the book, The China Syndrome. Ah, yes, The China Syndrome. (laughs) What that book basically said was that different people should eat according to their ancestry. So, for example, Asians should eat rice, and uh, people of Mediterranean descent should eat bread. Um, I haven't read the book in a long time, so I can't remember exactly what it said, but it said basically those kinds of things. Um, there are a couple of problems with that book. First of all, uh, when the book was peer-reviewed, the research in the book was deemed very, very weak or basically not worthy of peer-review publication. Second of all, nowadays, many of us are mixed breed. I mean, I'm a German and Italian. My son is German, Italian, Japanese, and that's what we know about. I mean, I'm sure you've all seen the Ancestry.com uh, commercials where someone goes to their homeland only to find out either through record searches or through DNA testing that they have some other nationality in them as well and they had no idea. Hey, you know, a lot of populations had a lot of inger- in- intermingling, even wars, right? Europeans, there are plenty of Europeans that are uh, born with the Mongolian blue spot from when um, they tried to invade Europe. In- in- um, intermingling occurred and voila, you've got Mongolian in your blood, and you had no idea about it. And there's lots of reasons for this. Some are pleasant, some are not. You know, during war, rape is common, was common, you know. Incredibly unfortunate, but true nonetheless. In war, you also have a problem of actual relationships forming between people of two opposing sides, right? And since that relationship is frowned upon, it's kept secret. And sure enough, once in a while, kids are produced. Even without war, there's prejudice. Don't go to that side of town. Those people are no good. Intermingling happens anyway. And in modern times, it's a lot more acceptable, so it's happening more openly today. And in my opinion, that's a good thing. So not only from a social standpoint of of mingling cultures, but it also strengthens the gene pool. So what would the China syndrome say about a German, Italian, Japanese person is supposed to eat? I mean, all those are ethnic groups that I know is in my son's DNA, not to mention the ones that I have no clue about. So ultimately work towards achieving a cleansing diet. Once you've achieved it, stay on it for 90 days. Once that's accomplished, try adding different foods one at a time every three or four days. Keep a food journal the whole time so that you can track 
if and when you get into trouble. Worst case scenario, if you get into trouble and you can't figure it out, work towards getting back to that cleansing diet and start over. So do you have every health and nutrition answer? <laughs> no, I don't. I, but I do a lot of research. And when I don't have the answer, I'm determined to find it from a reliable research-based source. No, Dr. Google doesn't always tell the truth. But it's not Dr. Google's fault. They're only spitting out potential answers to what you've searched for. After all, anybody can submit anything to Google, right? Or Bing. Or Bing, yeah, I guess <laughs> we're, in the we're in Microsoft week. land, so yeah. <laughs> Probably should say that. Although um, I'm, my office is very close to Microsoft land, too, and most of the Microsoft engineers that come see me still use Google. I shouldn't mm. say that on the air, perhaps. <laughs> but <laughs> All right, well, where does new enzyme nutrition fit into all this, and why is it so vital to proper nutrition? Enzyme nutrition provides two invaluable functions. It supports healthy digestion by helping vital nutrients get past an incompetent digestive system. And if you're over 40, your digestive system is compromised. And second, it promotes healthy utilization of those nutrients by the body to promote a healthier you. Again, you have to remember if your food has been cooked or frozen, the enzymes in it have been destroyed. If you're eating processed food, the enzymes have been removed during processing. So have the nutrients, but while the nutrients are put back in, the enzymes are not. Lastly, again, by the time you reach age 40, your body's own ability to produce enzymes is reduced by up to 70%. And remember, vitamins are only coenzymes. They can only do their job if the right enzymes are present. So you can down all the vitamins all day long, but they do you no good without the proper enzymes. On the same note, enzymes are the only chemical reaction in the body capable of actually doing work. The other ones, whether they come from food or supplements, have to be worked on. The enzymes do the actual work in your body. And lastly, enzymes are required for every chemical reaction uh, in your body. not just They're not just for digestion. Um, we are going to have a special guest next week who is going to uh, ask us some very important questions about health and wellness. And so tune in next week. Uh, the next thing we want to talk about is what steps should we take? How, how do you change your diet? Um, simple advice, very slowly. Again, you guys know now that I'm very into slow, gradual changes. Um, slowly increase your protein and complex carb intake from uh, fresh fruits and vegetables throughout the day. And then you can slowly decrease your simple carbs. What you're doing is you're replacing those cravings with a slower burning energy, and those cravings will go away. Salad dressings, you know, um, oil and vinegar are okay. Uh, and you can probably uh, stick with most clear dressings, uh, but make sure you read the label. Stay away from the creamy dressings. They're super high in calories and super low in nutrition. They practically kill the whole reason for eating a salad. Um, fast food. Uh, a lot of fast food actually creates food cravings. These guys aren't stupid. They know exactly what they're doing. They use the scent of animal fat and flavoring of animal fat, which creates an actual craving for that food. 
Um, you ever go to a fast food restaurant, you say you're going to have one fry and you can't stop with one fry? There's a reason for that. It's the scent and the flavoring that they use in the food. You eat it, and then you feel really bloated and full for a while, but it fades rather really, really quickly, and you're hungry again. That's because that food was completely empty of calories. And now you crave more food, even though you just ate, felt full and bloated, and took in, quite frankly, a, a lot of calories. Um, remember that enzymes can help car- curb hum- hunger as well. How in the world can enzymes help curb hunger? They promote healthy absorption and use of the nutrients from your food. So if your body gets more nutrients from your food, again, you will have more, uh, fewer cravings. Try tracking your diet. Um, just write it down, and now you can start to look at it, analyze it, and make slow, gradual changes. A grande Starbucks mocha latte uh, has somewhere between four and 500 calories, and I'm sure at just about any coffee shop I shouldn't just pick on Starbucks. So I'm not saying you can't go to Starbucks, but maybe you don't need the uh, mocha latte. Maybe you should have a cup of tea or, uh, you know, um, I'm not a big fan of coffee, but have some regular coffee instead of the sugared-up coffee. Um, reminder, I will be at Vitamin Life this Saturday at noon doing a health and wellness workshop. If you'd like to meet me in person, come on out. We are in the uh, Trader Joe's slash QFC Shopping Center in downtown Redmond this Saturday at noon. Um, but just to review, the reason your body craves food even after it ate is because the food that you ate was basically empty calories. It was high in calories and low in nutrients. It doesn't matter how much you eat. If you don't get the nutrients that you need, your body's still going to create the cravings. Um, There was a study done in the 1990s, and I touted this study a lot, and I still tout this study a lot. I get a lot of criticism because the study was done in the 90s, and newer studies, um, which were published by the government, by the way, um, seem to have debunked it. Um, But the study showed that um, organic and even conventionally grown foods have order of magnitude hundreds, and I do mean hundreds of times more nutrients than GMOs. Um, like I said, due to political reasons, um, no study since has been done, or the studies that have been done have been government studies and show the opposite. Um, now, again, government studies, let's go to pollution. You know, it, when, when one political party is in power, the research shows pollution is a huge problem. And when another political party is in power, it shows that pollution is no problem whatsoever. This research is not independent, unbiased research. It's designed to tell the story that each party wants to tell. I'm not going to get into a political discussion. I don't care which party you support. My point is that neither one of them are unbiased. So why would it be any different when we're doing that type of research on food? So I go back to the Rutgers study because, first of all, it was a huge study. It was nationwide. And uh, second of all, it was before um, the GMO corporations had the uh, strong-arm influence that they have today. Um, And also remember that RDA, Recommended Daily Allowance, It's not really a recommended daily allowance. It's actually a minimum. When they came up with RDAs, they asked the question, what is the minimum amount of this 
vitamin, mineral, nutrient substance that the American needs to stay healthy. And that's what the RDA became. So the recommended daily allowance is not the recommended amount you should be eating. It's the recommended minimum that you should be eating. We will be here next week with a special guest. You are listening to Dr. Andy's Wellness Corner on 1150 AM KKNW. Don't forget to give me a call at 425-868-0120 or email me at drandy at redmondridgechiropractic.com. Thank you very much.